0: Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from
1: Zoomer Radio, AM740. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Strap yourself in, place your trays in the upright position. We are preparing for takeoff. Uh, first, a, a belated Fourth Happy Fourth of July to our American friends, which of course signifies the uh, the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Which actually uh, it, it wasn't signed on the uh, the Fourth of July. I, I I believe it was signed several weeks later. Uh, but what a powerful document! Did you know that when the uh, the Declaration of Independence was read, and there were an, a number of copies floating around, uh something like 26 different copies. Some of them have only just been discovered uh, in the last 20 years or so. However, uh, George Washington read from the Declaration of Independence in New York, uh, just to give you a sense of how uh, powerful a document this was, people started to riot. They were so inspired and so incensed. Uh, they started to riot, and they, uh, they tore down a statue of King George III, uh, of course, who was the, uh, the target of most of their rage. And uh, that statue was later melted down and turned into musket balls, uh, which were used, of course, during the, uh, the Revolutionary War. In any event, uh, happy uh, July 4th uh, and uh, Independence Day to uh, all of our American listeners. Also, uh, a very historic uh, time happening in Greece right now. Very trying times for Greece. Inside or outside the e- EU, uh, and with or without the euro, they are in for a very rough road, and my prayers go with you. Be brave. Uh, incidentally, here's something interesting. You know, a lot of, uh, I think, misinformation floating around about Greece and how they got into this mess. And yes, they certainly uh, are, are responsible in large measure for their profligate spending and so forth. Um, But do you know who the number one debt transgressor of the 20th century is? Or was, I should say. The number one debt transgressor of the 20th century. Anyone want to take a shot at that? It's Germany. In the 20th century, Germany was insolvent three times. After the uh, the first default, during the 1930s, The U.S. gave Germany a haircut, again in 1953, reducing its debt um, to practically nothing. Germany has been in a very good position ever since, even as other Europeans were forced to endure the burdens of World War II and the consequences of the German occupation. Germany even had a period of non-payment as early as 1990. So I'm just saying... Germany resisting Greece's pleas for, for some relief, it should have known better than it should know better than most. What it can achieve? debt relief. Look at the, the economic miracle of Germany after the war. It got massive help from its former enemies, including Greece. And uh, in 1953. Greece was one of about 20 other countries which effectively wrote off a large chunk of Germany's loans, restructured the rest. It's a, it's a landmark case and it shows again how effective debt relief can be. It helped spark what became known as the German economic miracle. And now Greece likewise needs an economic miracle. And uh, I believe their best hope for a miracle is by reverting back to the drachma, hit the reset button. Uh, just a reminder to get on up to the website, richardserrett.com. Albert has posted some stories I'm sure you'll find interesting in the slide carousel. Once again, richardserrett.com, S-Y-R-E-T-T. Uh, the one that really grabbed me or, or grabbed a lot of attention last week has to do with this video shot from the International Space Station, which appears to show three unidentified flying objects racing by planet Earth. And just when the lights appear to blast off the planet, wouldn't you know, the video feed is cut uh, with a message subsequently displayed on the screen stating, Please stand by. The high-definition Earth viewing experiment is either switching cameras or we are experiencing a temporary loss of signal with the International Space Station. This is NASA. Of course, the video has gone viral on YouTube and uh, led to a lot of speculation that NASA deliberately cut the feed as part of an ongoing cover-up, of the ET UFO reality and according to some NASA has played a very active role over the years in this cover-up in fact my first guest tonight is convinced likewise that NASA has evidence of alien contact captured on video in fact he wrote a book about this very subject called Evidence the case for NASA UFOs with a foreword by his uh, friend Dan Aykroyd I guess this was published about a dozen years ago Filmmaker, space scientist, mystic ecologist, David Sarita's first aspiration in life was to become an astronaut. In 1968, David and a friend witnessed a UFO along with hundreds of other witnesses. After this experience, David grew up as a UFO enthusiast, never living in doubt of the phenomena that has swept the world since the Roswell incident in 1947. His interest in space, religion, philosophy, astronomy, and science led him on his career in related fields. He's worked deeply in high technology on environmental and humanitarian issues and as a professional photographer for over 20 years. He's studied world religion, science, physics, paranormal psychology for over 25 years. And this October, he'll be speaking at Paranoia Con in Hollywood, California on the subject of transcending the new world order. We'll talk about that tonight. Let's get David in here. David Sarita, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you?
2: Good, Richard. It's been a long time. I'm back in Canada now. My uh, wife and baby and I left the United States after a long, a long journey down there, and I no longer feel safe down there with my little daughter.
1: I'm sorry to hear that. Well, welcome home. Yeah. Welcome home. You're out in, in British Columbia now.
2: Yeah, we're out in uh, Nelson, BC, and, and there's a lot of fires here this this uh, July because you know we've had a massive hurricane winds go through here and rip down trees everywhere. And, Lightning strikes, so there's a lot of fires burning around us.
1: Well, that's never a dull moment on the, yep. <laughs> on the West Coast. Um, we, will, we will get around to talking about the uh, ParanoiaCon and uh, sort of the subject of your presentation, Transcending the New World Order, but I, I wanted to get your take because this is something I know that's near and dear to you. I, I wanted to get your take on this video that has, as I say, gone viral, which... Some are saying that NASA cut the feed. This was the International Space Station. This camera mounted on there and uh, three unidentified flying objects sort of seen blasting past uh, planet Earth. And then all of a sudden, the feed went dead and we had that text up on the screen saying, you know, we're having some technical difficulties. Of, uh, w- what do you make of that video?
2: Well, I actually haven't seen the video, if you can send me a link really quick. But, I mean, it's so typical – Oh, here it is. NASA cuts live feed. Yeah, I mean, they've been doing this for years. I mean, sometimes you can catch it. Like in the early days, it was Martin Stubbs, my friend who was a program manager at at, uh, Shaw Cable in North Vancouver, recording all the missions while nobody's watching. And nobody was really looking for UFOs back then, so they weren't really cutting the feed very often because they knew hardly anyone was watching, and most people wouldn't notice anything. But since, uh, you know, my film that I did with Martin, the Evidence, the Case for NASA UFOs, came out, and Dan Aykroyd did the cover on that, yes. it, everyone's aware of NASA UFOs. I mean, they've been aware since that title came out in, in 2000. The year 2000, it came out on VHS, and then it came out on DVD in 2004 or five. So what's what's happened now is because it's a phenomena, um everyone's looking... And NASA is sharper, and but they're not that sharp because these things happen really fast. And you know, you also, you know, it, it's also really sad too because with a lot of the the ability of special effects and some very cheap special effects, it's pretty easy to slip stuff in these videos. So the videos really need to be analyzed properly, you know, before you really determine there's really something there. And it's not like in the old days with VHS, and it was way harder to do a special effects job. Like, when sure. I when I did my film, Evans the Case for NASA UFOs, I had letters, email letters, from top scientists at NASA. I got copies from the NASA, you know, Johnson Space Center Library of the same footage, like the tether incident footage. And one thing that was interesting is when I got my copy of the tether incident footage, the audio had been taken out, like, in huge, important places. They, they snipped the audio versus the original that Martin Stubbs had recorded, and um, they made it much lower in contrast, so it was harder to see fine details. So they, they had clearly altered the original, and that's notable right there.
1: And who do you, who, who, how does it, it work over at NASA in terms of the chain of command? Who would make that call, for example? Let's assume for a moment that this uh, video uh, that we're discussing is legitimate. It hasn't been doctored, uh, and the, the feed was cut deliberately. How would that work? Do you have any idea? I mean, who would make that call? Well,
2: I, when I researched the space shuttle, they have several secure actual Department of Defense radio channels, and they have DOD channel for cameras. And then they have NASA, you know, which is, and they have the public, you know, channel and the public, you know, broadcast. So a lot of what they're talking about, you'll never hear on the message uh, on the missions in regards to what you're actually seeing. And um, uh, let's see. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, examples where NASA cuts live feed. I mean, lots. But they're not as What you're looking at to begin with is not everything they're seeing up there. I mean, I learned from NASA scientists in my emails when I wrote the book Evidence the Case for NASA UFOs and did the film that they were, um, there were so many different cameras on the space shuttle and they were, they were retrofitted cameras where the CCD was replaced. So certain cameras could see infrared and, you know not like infrared night vision goggles. These cameras had really wide bandwidth which they could peruse through specific bandwidth inside of the infrared. Very different than night vision goggles. Right. And then they had CCDs that could see ultraviolet near and far. So ultraviolet has near, far and extreme UV. So you have three different levels optically. And their cameras can see into the near and the far in those days. You know, that's 1997. You know, um, you're you're looking at footage from 1997. So what they have now is probably unimaginable on most of the cameras on the shuttle. So what the public sees is, is probably really already controlled. And so if something is going by, then, you know, first you have to analyze the footage. I mean,
1: Sure. I don't David, I apologize. I've got to jump in here. We've got the music coming up, so we'll uh, we'll take a break, come back, and uh, continue to discuss uh, UFO mysteries uh, and more transcending the new world order. David Sarita, my guest, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast
0: of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740.
1: Welcome back. David Sarita stays with us. Uh, we were discussing his, his book. We're sort of dialing back uh, a dozen or more years. Uh, evidence, the case for NASA UFOs, as we discussed this, uh, this YouTube video that's gone viral that was uh, supposedly taken from the International Space Station, and uh, we see three unidentified flying objects uh, sort of blasting past planet Earth, and then the feed is cut, and NASA... Um, it's replaced with this uh, text on the screen uh, basically saying that they're having some sort of technical difficulties and this has led to speculation that NASA deliberately cut the feed and that they are of course a part of this ongoing cover-up of the the et UFO uh, reality uh, of course we just we uh, we commemorated the um, the Apollo 11 uh, lunar landing and um, uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, and there's the still unanswered question, at least in my mind, about whether or not this um, discussion between Neil Armstrong and uh, someone in Houston at the Space Control talking about uh, Neil Armstrong supposedly seeing these UFOs as he was, I believe, descending the ladder of the, uh, you know, to to to, uh, to to set foot on the moon. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, is that an apocryphal story? Did that actually take place?
2: Well, see, this is what's happened with the Internet now, and it, it makes everything, if it's real, it sh- it would be earth-shattering. And we're going to find out if it's real as more and more technology advances and and we can get to the moon in a more... Um, sustainable way so that we can set up tourist bases there, and it's going to become evident to everybody. I, I absolutely believe that because, you know, I worked in the field of nuclear fusion for over 10 years with top Nobel laureate scientists and a, a physicist from MIT who developed this uh, helium 3 based fusion, mm-hmm. Dr. Bogdan Castle Maglitch, and we learned that moon dust is the most. Um, valuable resource of the most energetic nuclear fuel there is, it's non-radioactive, and that's helium-3. Uh, Clinton Ashworth, who is the supervising mechanical engineer for Pacific Gas and Electric, the main utility in the San Francisco Bay Area, told me in an interview that one cargo bay in the space shuttle full of moon dust has enough helium-3 in it to meet the energy demands of the entire United States for a whole year. This that's is what China's...
1: Moon. at. China wants to get up there and mine this stuff.
2: Yeah, so what that means is the ETs are obviously mining it. They've probably figured out how to to extract the energy out of it long ago, obviously. And that's probably why there's bases all over the moon. Because, you know, even when you have an anti-gravity system, I mean, there's different levels of UFO technology from my, you know, 20-something years of researching it. Um, One is a very mechanistic type of craft that uses thruster or ion drives to move around the solar system. And if there's any other life in this solar system that's hidden from us, which there easily could be, um, when you understand temperature differentials and how different bodies can survive in different extreme temperature environments, and once you get past that understanding, there could be life all over the solar system. And those type of super powerful thruster drives even with thrust from, like, I had a conversation with Earl Van Landingham. I spent hours and hours with this guy. He was the head of all space access and technology for NASA, and he Mm -hmm. was head of all propulsion for NASA for for over a decade and a half. And Earl told me on the phone that helium-3 could produce super powerful 18 million electron volt um, charged protons, which, because protons are heavy, and that's where most of the mass in the atom is, is in the neutron and the proton, then you would have rocket thrusters that could send spacecraft up to one-tenth the speed of light. And so that's a thruster drive. So that is incredible. That means that ET civilizations using helium-3 for not only a power source, but for thrust, could get anywhere in the solar system in an incredibly short period of time. So that's level one kind of um, space technology and NASA has, tends to go down the road of more and more advanced propulsion ideas could, in the form of thrust. could we use that our, in our in nu- our new out of a drive
1: excuse me David could so, we use that the helium3 in our in our nuclear reactors
2: no no helium3 is would be a benign source of energy it exists in deep deep um, in the Earth's mantle deep deep way underneath the Earth's crust level. And, in fact, recently they're reporting in California and Los Angeles that there's helium-3 coming out of these these, um, caverns in Los Angeles, which means there's an earthquake imminent. This news just came out a couple days ago. And the fact that it's helium-3 means it's coming from way inside the Earth, and it means it's a very deep fault system.
1: This could be the big one.
2: And it could be the big one. And the fact that the helium-3 is coming out is really shocking. When I read that, I went, oh, my God, that's helium-3, not helium-4, not regular helium. So that's what that means. Helium-3 is extremely rare on Earth. You can find it in deep ocean vents, and you can actually manufacture it, according to Magwitch. Now, when I was working for Magwitch, he had Glenn Seaborg, who chaired the Atomic Energy Commission under three presidents, Kennedy, Johnson, and Nixon. And I was sitting with Seaborg and his assistant, Albert Giorso, at the space lab at the Lawrence Berkeley National Lab, right above the Berkeley campus area. And I was sitting with him, telling him about my UFO sighting, which was 1968. And I said, this lab would have had a perfect sighting of the of the spacecraft. And Seaborg had something like, um, he had 30-something levels above top secret, his assistant told me. And this is the man who won the Nobel Prize with Macmillan for the discovery of plutonium. He's he's the head of you know everything going on at Area 51 in for Department of uh, Atomic Energy Commission, and they were they were working on a rocket that could send a spacecraft to Mars in a very short time. It was called Nerva, I believe, and that. The rocket test at the, the the Nevada test site rocket nuclear rocket station under Seaborg were successful, not a failure. And then all funding was abandoned, apparently, which means it could have gone black, it could have gone underground, and it, we could have been sending people to Mars ever since the 60s. So I'm telling Seaborg this about my UFO sighting. And he's saying that there's nobody developing anti-gravity that he's aware of, but he said if you could, you would have a power source beyond nuclear fusion. And that's what Seaborg was doing. He was supporting the Advanced Physics Corporation that I was part of in Orange County and our approach to helium-3 fusion. And the helium-3 fusion world... Is a massive conspiracy. So we're going back to the moon. The moon is the the largest inventory of helium three that we understand so far in the solar system, and it would allow thrusts of up to a tenth the speed of light, occur, according to Earl Van Lanningham at NASA, who told me that personally. And therefore, that would represent the freedom to move around the solar system and all of our rocket you know drives, which can go in the tens of thousands of miles an hour. At this point, some of the you know lighter craft would be obsolete. But then, you, when you get to anti-gravity, it's years later I was lecturing at the UFO conference, Bob Brown's conference in Laughlin, Nevada, and after my presentation on anti-gravity technology and how it works, I'm approached by a scientist who works at the Lawrence Berkeley National Lab Space Lab, and he he tells me, he said, in 1972 all of us saw a flying saucer right outside the window. And so that's only a few years later. See, I saw mine in 68. You're talking right. about 1972, and which means there's probably a portal. There's prob- Because the UFO I saw after 20 minutes of everyone going crazy over this thing down low, you know, classic flying saucer, before I'd ever even heard of the term UFO, it, it, you see these wavelets. Like, it's almost like distorting um, wavelets around a pebble dropping into water and it just disappears. It goes into another dimension through a portal. It doesn't move through the fabric of space. And so what what he tells me is they all saw it in 72, and I had dreams of, in the following days and weeks of Palladians teaching me how their propulsion drive was working, and they were not grays or, or zetas. These were human-looking you know, blonde and brunette, you know, very tall beings. And um, they were teaching me everything about their star system and my life and the propulsion system of the craft. And again, this is 1968. I have no knowledge of UFOlogy. There is no such thing as UFOlogy. There's only Star Trek and My Favorite Martian on TV. <laughs> right. So, from now the next level, so when you get to anti-gravity and you're not fighting the inertial forces of gravity, the amount of energy it takes to go super fast is tiny. See, we spend all of our energy trying to fight gravity and the forces with thrust, and we waste this huge amount of fuel trying to get off the Earth.
1: And kill a lot of astronauts in the bargain.
2: Right. So... But when you, when, at the moment you, if you spend all of your energy freeing up gravity, the energy it takes to move is is tiny. I mean, a few volts, you'll be going super, super fast, because you don't weigh anything anymore, and there's nothing pulling on you anymore, and that is a revolution. And then when you get beyond anti gravity, you go into interdimensionality, craft that can jump dimensions, and. And when you jump dimensions, you're able to go faster and faster and faster, and the whole universe becomes accessible to anybody who's reached that level of technology. So when one of the arguments NASA presented to me is, you know, they, they think that ETs would be using something like an ocean liner technology, and they would see it coming past Saturn and the big planets, and they would say, yeah, they'll be here in five years, and we can calculate their arrival. And they said to me, you know... We've never seen anything like that. Well, that's because they don't move through space. The only ones that would move through space would be, okay, if you pop into our dimension and you're inside the local environment, you could go whizzing past the space station and you would see some things physically moving. Um, but they don't stay in that state. If, if they're from the solar system, Mars, Earth, or even Venus is possible, um, depending on the composition of their bodies and the temperature uh, ranges of their bodies. Um, NASA has done studies and found interstellar water existing at phenomenally high temperatures. So there, there are compositions of water, which all living things you know, need water, sure. that can survive enormous temperatures. So th- the whole idea that you have to have the temperate region is nonsense. That's complete nonsense. It's, it's a very old idea that you can only live within the temperate zone. Our bodies can only live in the temperate zone. But, for example, we even have miraculous stories of Catholic saints like walking through a burning furnace and, and, and their brown scapular robes, and even their robe doesn't catch on fire. So try to explain that. And so- those are well-documented cases. And we know also that at Ground Zero... In Japan, uh, when we dropped the bombs in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, there's the story of the little Catholic church. There's no burn marks. There's no radiation damage, and you know the, the the practicing monks and nuns living there were untouched. So that has to do. It all has to do with vibration and the vibrational state of the atoms of that person. So that means if you can survive nuclear temperatures and you can survive a burning furnace in these altered states, you can survive on in many different regions of temperate zones in different star systems, etc.
1: That would certainly stand to reason. I want to ask you, we're coming up on a break here, but we can start the conversation and continue on after, Uh, and we will uh, talk about paranoia con and and transcending uh, the the new world order. Uh, But in in terms of propulsion systems, I I, I wanted to come back to that for a moment. Uh, I remember a conversation with, with Grant Cameron on the program talking about Dr. Eric Walker, uh, who was a former president at, at Penn State, and I believe had some connection with uh, MJ12, uh, supposedly. And and uh, he talked about the understanding. You need to understand the connection between ESP telepathy and the UFO phenomena. What, what do you do you put any credence in that?
2: Well, that's that's my area right now. I mean, I I am I'm literally having dozens of experiences in that area with these mantra transmitters that I, I have invented that pulse the frequencies of different star system wavelengths into your house. And, you know, I've, I literally I have people buying these things from davidsarita.net, and they're pulsing their room with Palladian frequencies or Syrian frequencies, and that's the key. The key is understanding the brain that the frequencies of the brain, we, we can go more into this when we get back, um, match the frequencies of our Earth and the solar system. So we are beings of our solar system frequency range. But when you start pulsing your, your space with frequencies of the wavelengths of distant stars, you open up a telepathic and psychic um, and even holographic portal. I've actually seen them holographically right in front of me, not with my eyes closed, full 3D right in front of me and so is my wife and so is even my little daughter using these frequencies. So radio works when you any two oscillators you have, you know, usually we use quartz to create oscillations that are at the same frequency regardless of the separation of distance you set up radio communication so, All right.
1: I've got to jump in here again, yeah. uh, David. We'll take a time out. We'll come back, and we'll pick up on that point, the connection between telepathy and UFO propulsion. David Sareta, my guest, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Uh, welcome back. David Sereta stays uh, with us, and we are talking about, right now anyway, uh, the connection between uh, telepathy and UFO propulsion. And uh, uh, David, just remind us, these... Uh, these um, Units uh, that, that you're, you're working with, uh, they're, they're made out of quartz. How do they work again?
2: Well, the units I make these, um, they're called mantra transmitters. They're, they're flat panel, per- great pyramid angle vortex generators that connect to a tube amplifier, and I supply people with frequencies of distant star systems and the frequencies of the nine planets in our solar system and pyramid frequencies, etc. And so the way it works is that the human body is an electrical system. Our nervous system is electrical, which um, even Luc Montagnier, who won the Nobel Prize for the discovery of the AIDS virus, um, he did tests on human DNA and found that DNA actually acts like a coil receiver inductor and can read frequencies even as low as the frequency of Earth. He actually tested human DNA at 7 hertz which is lower than the frequency at the equator of the Earth, which is about just under seven and a half hertz. Why is that important? The reason it's important is, okay, what I did is I took the the radius. NASA had the exact radius of all nine planets in the solar system. And when you have the radius, you can calculate the frequencies on a sphere. And when I did the study, I said, these all match the frequencies of the human brain. So, you know, we have... Deep delta brain waves from zero point one hertz all the way to four or five hertz, and then you got theta brain waves which are the next level up, and then you have alpha brain waves and beta and gamma brain waves. So all the planets match our brain waves. And I was astounded when I was looking at the numbers. I said, It's very clear that we're tuned to the frequencies of the nine planets, and it makes sense. They're so close to us at the speed of light, their frequencies are upon us every minute. And therefore, because we're beings, like we dream at the frequency of Earth, you know, that's a theta brainwave length. So all beings in the universe dream that are sentient, that are living and feeling beings, because all of them need rest and sleep. So therefore, beings in Palliades sleep and dream, and beings in Sirius sleep and dream. So when I saw that NASA knew the radius of Sirius A and B. I said, I can calculate those frequencies on those spheres. And they knew the radius of five Palladian suns. And they knew the radius of Vega and, you know, tons of stars. And I went, oh, my God, I can calculate all their frequencies. And so when I did it and I generated a whole scale of frequencies up the sides of the sphere, I was able to start transmitting them into our house and within, literally within the first night. I was seeing the Palladians again in the dream state, in front of me with my eyes open at times, and also um psychically on a regular basis. It's like I suddenly was tuned to them so I could I could do this. And then when I started making the transmitters more sophisticated and, and selling them and people were, you know, experimenting with them, they were writing me about their experiences too and some people had experiences it would take them a month it would take them a week some people were super sensitive and it happened on the first couple of nights but nevertheless they were all having experiences by tuning the their space their dreaming and sleep space and meditation space with you know these frequencies so it, it I literally had so many experiences with Pleiades there's actually an MP3 file at net of all of my most profound experiences with him that people can listen to. It's like 45 minutes or, no, it's an hour and a half of all the experiences I had with the transmitter. But the point is, you see, some, some people think that, okay, consciousness and the human body is not friendly to electricity. And Nicola Tesla argued this point vehemently, that we are electrical beings. We're not separate from electricity. Your house is pulsed in the in, in North America at 60 cycles a second all day long with the electricity wiring in your house so that really irritates the brain it also with all the wi-fi towers and cell phone towers you're bombarded with microwave activity so we're living in a wave trap right now we're living inside of a matrix that in it has intentional frequencies that they use you're not going to believe this but to trap you there's a book by Claude Swanson, who's an MIT physicist, called The Synchronized Universe. I don't know if you've had him on your show.
1: I have not, no.
2: Well, you've got to have Claude on your, on your show, because his book is all about physics and consciousness, but he's, he's an MIT guy. So, in his book, he demonstrates this case where Robert Monroe, the out-of-body master from right. Monroe Institute, is sleeping in this unit where there's all these wires wrapped around his sleeping area. And with no frequencies going through the wires, he describes going out of body and going through the wires. But with certain frequencies, he was trapped. He couldn't get out of the box. And that is what they're doing to the astral plane now.
1: There you go. Listen, we got to take another break. That kind of nicely leads us into uh, identifying who these archons are, I guess, that uh, are... Uh, keeping us trapped in this cage, this prison planet, some may call it. We'll come back with David Sarita and discuss Transcending the New World Order and Paranoia con and much more. Stay with us. All right, welcome back. Uh, I neglected to mention we are once again doing our uh, Hangout on Air, our HOA, as the kids say. And if you want to uh, uh, join the live stream or view the live stream, just go to my Twitter feed at Richard Serrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T, at Richard Serrett. And it's uh, the link is at or near the top of the uh, the Twitter feed. Just click on that, and you are in. Uh, next week on the program, uh, while we're mentioning the HOA, let me hold this up to the webcam. Can you see that? Albert, is that visible? Uh, it's uh, John Potash will be here, uh, the author of Drugs as Weapons Against Us, the CIA's murderous targeting of SDS, Panthers, Hendricks, Lennon, Cobain, Tupac and other activists. That's uh, next week on the program. Uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley will be here for her regular monthly visit, along with the media scientist Nelson Thal. That's uh, next week. Incidentally, uh, immediately following this show, I will be uh, hosting Coast to Coast, uh, also on the uh, the Saturday. So next Saturday and Sunday on Coast. But uh, make sure you're tuned in to The Conspiracy Show uh, right here next week for John Potash. Drugs as weapons against us. It'll be a good one. All right. We have a, a few minutes left with uh, David Sarita, incidentally, the website, davidsarita.net. And if you go to my website and just click on David's name, we've linked up to his site right there. davidsarita.net. S E R E D A is the spelling, Sarita.net. All right. Let's talk uh, about Paranoia Con uh, happening this fall in Hollywood. Uh, the subject of your speech uh, or presentation, uh, transcending beyond the new world order—a rather uh, interesting uh, title. What do, what do
2: you mean by that? Well, see, when we look at when we look at all of the harm that the bankers have done, like you know, look at Greece and Spain, and, and even what's happening in Canada. I mean, home prices are beyond the reach of you know local workers here. I mean, people can barely afford to live anywhere. And so what I'm finding is that, you know, to the main thing is to be able to be free as a soul, spiritually. And um, I really believe the answer in these times is not to put so much emphasis on financial gain and survivalism and thinking you have to, you know, fight and not spend quality time with your family and your kids. But really, it's about raising your consciousness and you know i've been a avid meditator for every day for 35 years doing breath and harmonics and sound work and meditation practices and studying world religions and I've, I've finally gotten to the point where my meditation goes so deep almost every night i can reach these very supreme states of ecstasy and cosmic consciousness In fact, in the Gospel of Philip, Jesus actually says this: if you don't attain the resurrection or enlightenment when you live, when you die, you'll receive nothing. And part of what the Church did is it wanted to make everyone codependent, making them think that they were the only ones that could give you salvation and freedom just by signing up and getting baptized. But Jesus clearly says that isn't true in the Gospel of Philip. And it's kind of how the New World Order has duped us into us believing that you can't survive without a bank, you can't survive without their money, and the people in Greece now are are just raiding grocery stores, and and that'll only last so long because the grocery stores won't be able to bring in any food. So it's really going to come down to communities, local gardening and local food growing and local support groups, and not so much about you know, how you have to keep raising the price of a home. You know, every time you raise the price of a home, people have to drive more, they burn more fuel to make more money, to do more jobs, they spend less time with their kids.
1: Right. It's, and, I call it the fur-line trap. This is how we imprison ourselves. We live in very ni- nicely appointed cages. Uh, that, that we It's all about attachment, right? And
2: obediently, we, and oh, we're willing to do this. Yes. to Work 14-hour days, including our driving and commuting and it's all because of the price of the house and the price of the food and w- once you realize that what we're doing is like we like look in Canada here we have 35 38 million people in a country the size of you know the United States and there's resources like crazy to build homes here there's no ability to to afford a home like even in these smaller Regions like where we live in Nelson, like, I would love to buy land. I mean, I I planted one and a half million trees in Canada in 22 years, and I own nothing. Laborers don't make enough money to get even get into a mortgage in this country, and yet the resources are here to build millions of homes.
1: That's right. They used to gauge affordability. A price uh, – what an average police officer or a teacher – uh, would make that's what you know the price of a, a home that's what should, it should be. be. Yes,
2: it should be a thirty-five thousand dollar a year salary should get you a house. And when I started planting trees in nineteen eighty, you could pay off a house in five years as a tree planter, as a as a hardworking, extremely hard labor. But that you couldn't possibly even raise a family on a tree planter. No salary. The anymore. contract's
1: been broken. There was a social contract. Uh, yeah, that and you so pay what we're doing the wish. real
2: estate brokers are making their money. They're all happy in Vancouver. The banks are happy because they make doubles cause in the interest term. But that's what's happening in Greece. Look at how expensive the houses are there. It's insane. No one can touch – in fact, they're dumping their mortgages to rent because it's more expensive to own in Greece than, than it is to rent. And their taxes are enormous, their land taxes, so forget it. This is how we did it. And the resources are there to build better, more sustainable, more energy-efficient homes. There's better, I mean, science is incredibly inventive at finding ways to get, you know, into more energy-efficient homes. And there's no reason why they all have to have million-dollar price tags. That, that's what's got to stop, number one, because that's, why we have no time for our kids and our families. That's why we're working 14-hour days. That's why everyone's drinking gallons of coffee and their nervous system is shaking. So my answer to it is, look, I have this online meditation course. I've been doing this for 35 years. I know that the most important thing in your day is how good you feel, and not just feeling good. I'm talking about really super... Creative mind expansion states of consciousness that are completely natural. And when you're naturally high, everything's fine. Everything's just great. And your desire for materialism and entertainment, you know, I don't think we really spend that much money in entertainment. I think we're spending all of our money on energy, food, and the house. And that's what's got us trapped. Right, right. We're not going to become a space faring civilization until we're only spending maybe 20% of our time working and 3D printers will be printing everything we need, most of everything we need, and we'll be spending more time with plants and local gardening and we'll be really, really studying and learning how to get into the interstellar medium. And that's where I see the only way we'll be sustainable in the future because if you keep raising, raising the real estate... We're going to be burning more and more and more and more fuel driving around. I mean, when you, you wake up in Los Angeles, you know, in Toronto, and I've lived in these in you know, Los Angeles. I, I haven't lived in Toronto, and you see all these cars moving, and they go. They're all moving around to pay for their rent and their mortgage, and they're burning all this fuel. That's right. And they, they
1: and they have their children so in daycare. Happier. They have their children in daycare, and they're taking second jobs to pay for the daycare.
2: Right. And they're and their kids are being raised by somebody else.
1: Yes. Yes. So
2: that, and that's exactly is, the way it was designed. we got to change it from the core. And you could, yeah, the New World Order is, is spraying chemtrails on us and spraying viruses so they can sell their vaccines. They're, they're emitting frequencies through our houses and our light bulbs, which are transmitters to trap the astral plane so that you can't get out and you're stuck in this consciousness of pure survival. First three chakras. But once you activate your light body, through harmonics, and, and I discovered an ancient scale in the Great Pyramid, which in the Gospel of the Egyptians, Jesus taught his disciples to do these sacred tones to awaken their light body. This is a missing Gospel. That is the only way to freedom, is to turn on your light body and not get stuck in the first three survival-based chakras, energy centers. And our, our, most of our civilization is stuck there. They can't get out because they're using frequencies, they're using the money system, they're using the fear that you can't even be homeless. Like, they're killing homeless people. Cops are killing homeless people it's in the true. states.
1: It's true. You're
2: it's true. You're not allowed to be homeless. You have to work. You have to be on adrenaline.
1: They are... They are char- In the United States, I believe in Oregon, they are, they are charging people for collecting rainwater and growing gardens in their backyard.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I've seen it. I mean, it's, uh, that's why we left the states. I mean, I... There's trouble in Canada, too. It's not like it's paradise, but it's a lot better here than there.
1: Uh, David, it was great uh, connecting with you uh, finally again, and we promise we won't leave it uh, so long the next time. Uh, let's remind people again about uh, Paranoia Con. That's happening in October in Hollywood.
2: Yeah, I'll be I'll be appearing there through Skype. I'm not going to go there in person because I'm... Uh, I'm staying here right now.
1: All right. Well, again, uh, welcome home. And, um, uh, hey, next time, say, please say hello to us, uh, to your, your good friend Dan Aykroyd. I
2: will. Thank you, Richard. Great pleasure,
1: David. Thanks. Be well.
2: Have a good night.
1: All right. David Sarita, and uh, the website is uh, davidsarita.net. Uh, let me just remind you, um, one of the uh, ways that you can listen to this program Of course, you can uh, stream it at uh, ZoomerRadio.ca. And uh, you can also, of course, uh, subscribe to the podcast at iTunes, Stitcher Radio. uh, Again, is through ZoomerRadio.ca, TalkZone.com. And, of course, our brand new app, the Conspiracy Show app, now available uh, through the iTunes Store and at Google Play for all of you Android users. Download it. It's quick. It's free take The Conspiracy Show with you wherever you go. In the meantime, follow the truth.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM740.
1: I am Richard Serrett, Albert is here of course, story producer, and Sebastian is uh, operating the audio board, Tim Spreen taking a rare night off, have the little guys in tow as well, they're camping out here tonight in Liberty Village at our flagship station AM 740, Uh, Zachary is uh, in the boardroom watching, I believe he's watching Escape from the Planet of the Apes, and uh, uh, North is in Master Control learning how to run an audio board, and he just. is giving me the thumbs up there through the glass. He should be in bed. uh, It's midnight. (laughs) Parent of the Year Award, right? Oh, well, no matter. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home, your RV, your taxi cab, your camper, your long-haul truck. Uh, Speaking of which, a uh, special hello to Trucker Jeff, who emails, Hi, Richard. Just wanted to say that I'm a long-distance trucker in Europe who really enjoys listening to your shows by podcast when I'm on the road. I'm in Quebec on vacation right now and looking forward to hearing your show go out live while I'm in the same time zone. Thanks for everything you do and for selecting the guests you need to be who need to be heard. Well, thank you, trucker Jeff, and enjoy your stay in Quebec. Uh, lots of people listening to The Conspiracy Show via the, uh, the podcast, which is available through, uh, once again, Zoomeradio.ca, iTunes, Stitcher, TalkZone.com, and uh, now the Conspiracy Show app. Uh, just wanted to wish our American listeners, again, a belated happy July 4th. Uh, wanted to let you know your neighbors to the north are thinking about you. And, uh, of course, to all the people of Greece who are about to uh, embark on, well, quite frankly, a treacherous odyssey. Uh, let's hope this odyssey doesn't take 10 years, uh, for those of, of you who uh, know your Greek mythology. A beautiful country, beautiful people, hardworking people. Uh, did you know that uh, the average Greek worker works more hours during the week than the average German workers? Yes, that's true. The Greek, the Greek uh, people are suffering. Uh, and Germany, also a great country, would be wise to remember how their debts were forgiven by their enemies after the war, despite the horrible carnage caused by Hitler and his murderous Nazi regime. Uh, I mentioned a little while ago that the number one debt transgressor of the 20th century was Germany. They were insolvent three times in the 20th century. Uh, And then in 1953, about 20 countries, many of them (laughs) were invaded by Germany, uh, forgave much of their debt. So I think turnabout is fair play in this instance. Anyway, um, my prayers go out to Greece right now. Uh, my eight-year-old, I just mentioned North in the control room there, was watching the results of the uh, the referendum earlier today. And he said to his mom, the mighty Aphrodite, he said, Mama, if Europe kicks Greece out of Europe, where will they go? Asia? I just thought that was the sweetest thing. But actually, you know, he's not too far from the truth. It's possible Greece may pivot east. We shall see. Hey, did you hear about this poor soul in uh, Berlin who was working at a Volkswagen plant there and he was killed by a robot? That's a true headline. The man died back on uh, June 29th at a uh, plant in, um, well, it's about 100 kilometers north of Frankfurt, Germany, the VW plant, and um, he was, uh, just, he's just 22, part of a team that was setting up a stationary robot when it grabbed him and crushed him against a metal plate. Now, VW is blaming human error, saying that that was uh, the cause rather than a problem with the robot. I wonder. We'll have to wait and see about that. I'm just thinking, is this how the robot apocalypse begins? All right. Uh Next week on the program, just want to mention once again that uh, John Potash will be here, the author of Drugs as Weapons Against Us, the CIA's Murderous Targeting of Hendricks, Lennon, Cobain, Tupac, and other activists. That'll be a good one. Uh, also joining us, paranormal investigator Rosemary Ellen Guiley and our media scientist friend Nelson Thaw will be here. That's all part of next week's program. It's been quite a while since Nelson was with us. Good to have him back. Uh, if you're a regular listener to this program... Uh, you'll know that I have railed repeatedly against Parker Brothers uh, for selling Ouija boards in toy stores. Uh, I don't think Ouija boards should be sold in toy stores. They're not toys, I don't believe. I don't think they should be trifled with. Uh, If someone is going to use them, they should know what they're doing. Uh, But I don't believe that children should be playing around with these things. I do believe in an unseen world, and I say that unapologetically, I believe in a spirit world. Having said that, uh, I mean, spirit communication is, is a fascinating arena, albeit controversial, and it's not something that I personally uh, am involved with. But I, I do respect people that, uh, that do engage in spirit communication. And, of course, we have uh, many people on this program who are involved in spirit communication. And in my next guest, has, uh, speaking of Greece's odyssey, she's been on quite an odyssey herself for 40 years, spent communicating with what she refers to as her spirit friends from the great beyond. And uh, she's here to share some of what she calls the unfair misconceptions Ouija has received over the years, from its fall from grace of the parlor rooms of yesteryear to the forgotten dark corners of today's closets. She's here to provide the how-tos, the don'ts, the warnings, the recommendations, and identify various entities with whom she's communicated. Let me hold the book up here again to the uh, webcam. The Spirits of Ouija, Four Decades of Communications. Karen A. Dahlman holds a master's degree from the University of New Mexico and has specialized in art psychotherapy. Hypnosis and past life regression work. After spending her formative years living all over the United States, she made Southern California her home in 1999. Although she maintains her counseling licenses, she hung up her therapy shingle and entered the high tech industry of telecommunications and founded CVC Inc., a consulting and utility design firm for the Fortune 500 wireless carriers, now in its 15th year of operation. With, within paranormal and metaphysical circles, Karen is known as a leading expert, ouija Ouijaologist. Since 1973, Karen has been directly communicating with her spirit friends via the Ouija board while receiving consistently profound and relevant messages from the varying consciousness, consciousnesses and sentient beings with whom she maintains relationships. She's the author of her most recent book, The Spirits of Ouija, Four Decades of Communication. Let me hold up her other uh, book as well, The Spirit of Alchemy, Secret Teachings of the Sacred Reunion. Karen A. Dahlman, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you?
3: I'm doing great, Richard. Thanks for having me. Good morning to you.
1: Good morning, and my pleasure to have you. <laughs> now we talk. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, um, we'll get you to, to weigh in on some of the misconceptions, and perhaps I've been—I'm guilty of spreading a few of those. Uh, I, and I always lay my cards on the table. I mean, my faith tradition warns against uh, conjuring um, spirits. So, is that? Is that what Ouija Ouija boards are are doing? Is that is, is that the actual act of conjuring spirits, or I mean, is this is is this something that I um,
3: am misinformed about? I think conjuring is a word I don't prefer to use. Uh, There's semantics involved here. I use right. the word evoking or calling upon. Okay. So I think conjuring is like forcing something to come up out of you know nowhere. But yeah, people use the word conjuring. It's not incorrect. It's just the word I. Try to stay away from because I don't feel like I'm forcing any spirit to come talk to me or right or, or making this happen. It just it just happens for me very okay. well. Too, okay, and
1: and um, so you began um, communicating with spirits using the Ouija board in 1973. How old were you? I, correct. I, I shouldn't be asking I, this, but I've been, I've, <laughs> I, you're never supposed to ask. I, but
3: I, it's okay. I, I, everybody knows I was eight. <laughs> I was eight then. Okay. So I was one of those children that used the board, and and I got it as a gift from Santa Claus at Christmas time.
1: Right. And, and and what do you think of i mean my 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 view is that, that that these shouldn't be sold in toy stores. These are not something to be trifled with. would you agree with that
3: yeah, they're not toys uh, yeah. uh, by, by no means are they um you know but they're sold in toys as you said like toys R Us. um you can also buy them easily on amazon eBay all over the internet um they're not a toy, and I'm the first to tell you that they're not something to be messed with or dabbled with it's um and, and you know I, I, listen, I was a kid that was given it was given to me. And I look back on that now, and I was very fortunate uh, with my work using this tool that I immediately fell into the hands of some really positive spirits that I was communicating with. But that's probably because of my sensitivities and able to – Feel and uh, experience visitations, etc., kinds of energy. So I wasn't ever afraid of that. And not being afraid has made the world of a difference for me while using this tool. Well, how do you,
1: uh, how do you protect yourself? I know there's a, sort of an opening um, protection prayer that you mention in the book. Walk me through that.
3: Yeah, well, I always tell people um, you really, okay, number one, you really should have a spiritual practice in place. And this means a way that you already work with energies within yourself meaning you either meditate regularly like your, uh, your other guest was talking about. I, too, am a regular meditator. It allows you to get into your own light being, into your own center, I call it, or your consciousness. So you're aware of, of your center of your being. So that's the number one thing. And then when you start working with this tool, as with any divination tool, Richard, it's important that there's an opening and there's a, a way you go about it and there's a closing to, I call it a circle. So I always, when I start doing this tool, I I get into a meditative state. I do a breathing exercise and of course it's in the book verbatim. And I use that exercise to get myself relaxed, centered, and my partner does too. And then we do usually a prayer, uh, incantation, invocation, but it's a prayer basically that says we're working with the energies of the highest light, highest good, white light. And we both visualize that around us, around the board and the home and the people that are there. And then from that space, we open it up not to anybody. We open it up to our regular guides we communicate with. I, you might call those the bouncers. It's the ones on the other side who we've really come to know over the years. And, again, I've actually using it, been using it for 42 years now, and some of these guides I've been talking to since, like, 1989 and 1994. A lot of them I'm still communi- in communication with. So we've had a very long and lasting relationship in terms of the spirit work. So then I invite them in, and they come in immediately, um, give their messages, and it's always a very respectful environment. I'm very respectful to them coming through and very respectful to people in the room, and they're very respectful to us, too. It's the, Respect is the key word here, and what you give out is what you're going to get back. You know, if I treat somebody respectful, most likely they're going to, you know, return that in favor, and, and the energies on that end work the same, and when you're you're Previous guest was talking about the vibrations right. and how when you're of a good, higher caliber, you're going to tend to be more positive in life. And as you know, Richard, if you're in a more positive life, you tend to go about, as your guest said, feeling really good about yourself and things.
1: So, so if you, you if that you, energy, if so you so you that take,
3: energy tracks back to you. If
1: you take this approach and you say this protective prayer, you're, you're increasing the odds that you're only going to uh, contact sort of highly highly evolved uh, entities?
3: Not necessarily. No. Everybody pretty much starts out in the dead zone, I call it. Everybody starts with the easier earthbound spirits, which is not the highly evolved ones. They're the ones that are stuck in their personality. They just passed over or they've been dead for a while and they're not moving on quite yet. Those are the easiest energies to contact first, and those are the ones that probably everybody is mostly afraid of, and they think that's as far as you go. And I've traversed through a lot of those realms, and I'm into these other, other planes of existence and ethereal beings who aren't are way beyond the astral, lower astral zones.
1: Okay, we'll uh, take a time out. Karen A. Dolman. The Spirits of Ouija, Four Decades of Communication. Back with more on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740.
1: Karen A. Dolman is with us, and the uh, book is The Spirits of Ouija, Four Decades of Communication. Now, uh, you started back in 1973, Uh, Tell me about the the, the first uh, spirit communication you had using Ouija.
3: Um, Yeah, well, what happened was I had some friends who lived down the street from me, two little girls, and they were sisters. And they invited me to their house, and they said, let's play some board games. And, you know, board games were popular back in the 70s. And I thought we were going to play Candyland or Monopoly or something like that or pick up sticks. I don't know. And they pulled out the Ouija board. Now, I had not really, I really didn't know what they were. I think I might have heard the word, but I didn't even know what it looked like. I thought that sounded like the dumbest, stupidest thing I think I've ever heard, that you can use a board like that and communicate with something. And so they pulled it out and said, watch. I, I was curious. So they started talking and played around a little bit. And I thought, you guys have got to be pushing this. They said, no, Karen, you've got to try this. So I put my hands in the planchette. I, I wasn't going to push it. They said they weren't. And it flew across the board, and next thing I know, this, it's spelling out, and it, they told me that was their sister who had died. Uh, and I said, What? <laughs> I didn't know you had, even had a dead sister. It turned out one of the girls was a twin at birth, and her twin died shortly after birth. And unbeknownst to her parents, they were in their rooms, you know, here and there, using the board since they've had it for a few years, communicating with their dead sister and they kind of kept it quiet but i was just amazed that you could actually communicate with the dead now you are a now good I've, catholic
1: girl you are a good catholic yeah, girl did you have any good. reservations <laughs> at all when this is happening
3: <laughs> you know, i laugh i'll tell you why i laugh because it sounds so weird it sounds like such just a dichotomy and it truly really, it kind of is but not because catholics at least how I was raised, and I was raised really traditional. Um, we, we did catechism, communion, confirmation, acts of attrition. We had crosses, crucifixes in a room. We did the rosary beats, everything. Went to church regularly, CCD, blah, blah, blah. All of that. And it was a fabulous uh, you know, place to be, to be raised. But, you know, what's interesting about that is they believe, and some of the sects believe, in talking in tongues as well as angels. They believe in guardian angels. Right. So, uh, you know, and they believe that, you know, the people speak in tongues, they're speaking with the Spirit, uh, and they believe in the Holy Ghost, and, you know, all that stuff. And I thought, well, this is right along with religion. It can't be the opposite. My parents really thought the whole thing was a game. They didn't think I was really talking it to dead people, or let alone the sister down the street who had a dead sister. So my parents, they weren't really, uh, you know, noticing what I was doing. But I was talking to to spirits, dead people, uh, quite a bit. And to me, it just fit right along with my faith. And in fact, made my faith stronger and the fact of God, and the afterlife, and heaven, and hell, and all these other experiences that people say they have that I heard about in the Bible and in CCD classes. Right.
1: I, one thing that always has confused me about sort of the prohibition against, you know, uh, conjuring, or is that word again, uh, is that mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm an Orthodox Christian, a Greek Orthodox Christian, mm-hmm. uh, and, and we there is a, a long tradition, uh, as well as in Catholicism, of communing with the saints. Well, saints are... You know the, the departed souls they are so I mean what is that all about if not almost a conjuring of uh, uh, of, of spirit um, and but, but then at, at a certain point you started to be to, to have sort of regular communication with the same entities um, when did that start and, and who were these how did they identify themselves
3: well I, I used it only up to it was probably about 86 Six. It was about 13 years later when I met one of my first um, entities that stuck around for a while. And it was a deceased person who was earthbound but not negative. She was very positive. She was a person who had died uh, during the Civil War time, and, and she was a slave. Her name was Wilma Jean. And I write all about her in that that book you held up, The Spirits of Ouija. She's a very critical piece to my whole um, growth with this tool. And I'm going to say growth because using this tool has really helped me uh, develop some psychic abilities as well as um, look at the depths and dimensions in which of the unseen forces that we really can't, we don't really understand. And it took me into a lot of um, places that uh, really are mind expanding and and heart growing. So she was one of my first, and and I spoke with her for 15 years. And she immediately showed up as a helper, or I call it my bouncer in my books or my gatekeeper. These are the, the souls that will help you when you're doing this tool that can help Keep it the, the opening, the, the, the portal, whatever we want to call it, the doorway, the threshold, safe for you. And they help you. And so she identified herself by her name. She was in the wings waiting until I, I did the board with um, one of my brothers who's very uh, good at using the board with me. And she stepped forward and told me she's been watching us and noticed that, that some characters that weren't of the highest light had been coming through and really wanted to help us. Now, this is what I learned about using this tool don't take everything you get off this tool at face value
1: no there are tricksters out there right there are tricksters That's right
3: and the tricksters are those that are still stuck that are earthbound and the ones that that really you know they're, they're still stuck in their personalities they're gonna, they're gonna play games and all kinds of stuff they might have negative personalities even when they're dead because if they're mean and nasty while alive they're most likely still you know attached to that same kind of personality So she came through and really started giving me the ins and outs of what goes on on the other side, and I started learning a lot about that. Now, I was in college at the time, so she came through loud and clear and loud and strong, and we really got some great connections from her, yet I wasn't trusting everything about it. I was still exploring this tool, not quite sure, until I met some other characters that started coming through. And then as you start to progress along this, you can realize uh, which spirits you're communicating with actually have credence, and they're solid in their communications. And so it was, you know, I, I, like I said, Wilma was with me for 15 years, and finally it was time for her to move into the light. She knew that. She was there to help me, and she moved into the light and then entered a bunch of ethereal and angelic beings. But she took me through all the layers of the astral zone as I met these different characters and, and deceased and then started working my way into other, other levels.
1: And did, did, um, did she... Indicate, or Have you ever learned from either uh, Wilma or others how it is they receive this communication on, on the other side, on the other side of the veil? Uh, because you know, on this side, of course, we have this divination tool. What are they seeing on the other side? I mean, how do they, how do they know that someone's trying to reach out to them?
3: That's a great question. I'm glad you asked that because this is, this, is, this is critical. This is why I say it's so important you raise your own vibration. And so I do it through meditation, contemplation, journaling, dream, recall, all kinds of altered states and, and all kinds of breathing techniques because you want to raise your vibration. What they told me is they see a light, a light that's cr- created by the uh, interaction the they circuitry between you and your partner using the board. And they're, if they're roaming around, they may be in some darkness, they may be in some light themselves, but they see this light and they come to it. And that's how they know there's some kind of opening you've created. And so your vibrational quality, your vibrational um, centeredness within yourself is what's going to take you to the other levels. And that's what you're going to track. You're going to track like attracts like and you're going to track that same kind of vibration. So they, this is what they tell me, and they tell me is now in more advanced teachings because my work with the board has gone into talking to interdimensional beings, multidimensional beings, and so forth. They're in many different levels of the ethereal realms, if you want to call it that. What they said is this. They said, we are vibration, you are vibration, flowers are vibration, but the only thing that separates us is the rate of that vibration, which is the frequency. So by raising your frequency, your vibration, to a higher rate, you connect with us, and we have to step ours into a level that reaches, reaches yours. So it's kind of like you've got this frequency going on out there, and whatever that frequency is vibrating at, that's what you're going to attract to you.
1: Now, can you, can you select or can you request uh, to, to communicate with a particular spirit? Let's say, for example, Karen, you wanted to speak with your great-great-grandmother. Would you be able to do that at this point?
3: You know, um, this, is what I, this is what I've learned about the other side. They may come through and they may not. And, it's, and the, the people, too, are deceased. So we're talking about now people now that are deceased spirits, souls. We're not talking about ethereal beings or light beings who have never been born. They're discarnate spirits. We're talking, about, we're talking about spirits that were incarnate at one time. You can call and reach out to them, but there's a few reasons why I find they may come through or they may not. They come through if they have a message and there's part of this healing they agreed to do with you from the other side. They, they may not come through if they had maybe, for example, a really a tough uh, dying process or a shock. They may need extra time to heal and to just get their, get their awareness back. Or three, they may not come back at all because they're, they're working on themselves, they're evolving and they're in a classroom, if you will, or maybe have reincarnated. So I have been able to speak to quite a few of my relatives um, and there's quite a few I've called upon who cannot come through. And then I've had dear friends who have passed on who can't come through and then some of them can. It's really, it's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee you're going to dial them up, they're going to come through. Um, or get your frequency to match theirs, but they'll come through if there's some kind of soul contract or some reason that's, ne- that's necess- necessitating this. It has to be a purpose for that when they're on the other side. There's, there's a little more understanding, and they're more back in the light. In fact, Richard, they tell me when they pass over, we call it death, they say, no, we've actually just started our new life, and there's so much more that we're still evolving and learning to, and that may interfere with the reason to come back and communicate.
1: Uh, they used to call the Ouija boards "talking boards" and so forth. How many different uh, different uh, Ouija boards do you have? Are there some that are more effective than others? Does it matter? I mean, can you just use a you know a, a Dixie cup on top of a uh, you know make a makeshift board?
3: You can. In fact, I've done that many times. Um, if I wanted to, to communicate with the spirits and I didn't have a board available, I would take a paper sack or cardboard, write out the letters and numbers and throw over an old double old-fashioned or a Pyrex glass dish uh, on top of it, and away it would go. You don't need a, a, a Ouija board. I have one back here from the 20s. You don't need that. You, um, it, it, you know, and there's the, okay, the name is Ouija, is the one that's patented. Then you have all kinds of talking and spirit boards and communication devices. Um, pe- if people go to my website, you can look at some of our gallery photos that we have of people with their boards. People, people create their own boards all the time and use all kinds of different apparatus as the planchette to move across the board to spell. So you, you're not stuck to using just Parker or excuse me, Hasbro's, they bought for brothers, Ouija board, but you can use all kinds of uh, different devices that you create yourself. It's, it's, in fact, I have 13 boards myself. Um, 11 of those are Ouija boards and two are just talking boards. Um, I like collecting the old Ouija boards. My oldest one's in 1902. Ouija was first patented and came out in 1890, but it patented in 90, 1891. So I've got a really old board. And I think, to me, they're, they're, I like them because they're, they're artwork. They're historical. They're collector's items. But, um, and, and some of the talking boards are just Incredibly beautiful, so people a lot of people collect them and don 't even use them because they they 're beautiful pieces of artwork
1: actually and, and I, I believe that um, a, a spirit board or a talking board uh, was very popular in the Lincoln White House. Mary Todd Lincoln was uh, fascinated by uh, these, and they would hold late night sessions
3: that 's correct. they would do seances that 's exactly correct. President Grover received a witch board they were called and this is back in eighteen eighteen uh, ninety eight when he got married uh, to his one of his wives, <laughs> he received it at the at the, president's, at the president at the office <laughs> for his wedding gift. So, so they've been around for a long time. It came out of the spiritualist movement, which happened in the United States by 1848. By the way, um, Canada was a big uh, creator of these boards too. They had a uh, ten-year license um, from the United States in 1891, and that ran for ten years. And then they started making them on their own and held their own license. So, Canada has a big uh, history steeped in creating Ouija boards too.
1: Hmm. All right. And and Lilydale, which was uh, sort of uh, one of the mm-hmm. seats of the spiritualist movement in the U.S., is not too far from where I'm sitting down in uh, in New York State.
3: Oh yeah. That's right. Yeah, the Lilydale is a great spiritualist community. And there's a, there's Casa is another one in Florida. There's one out here. I'm in California in San Diego. There's quite a few sp- speckled sprinkled around the United States and and elsewhere. But um, yeah, those those are fascinating uh, villages because people there do they, this, this is what they they are. They're a big large movement of spiritualists who live there. And they do they do a lot of communicating with the other side.
1: Karen, what would you say is the uh, the biggest? Uh, well, I'll ask this now, and we'll answer it on the other side of the break uh, we're heading into. But what is the, the biggest misconception about spirit boards or talking boards or witch boards or Ouija boards? We'll uh, discuss that. On the other side, figuratively, Karen A. Dolman is uh, with us, and we will continue this conversation when The Conspiracy Show returns right after this. You're listening to an exclusive
0: podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740.
1: Karen A. Dahlman is with us, uh, the author of The Spirits of Ouija, four decades of communication dispelling some of the myths, misconceptions about uh, the Ouija board. And um, uh, what would you say is uh, perhaps uh, the biggest, or give me a couple of the biggest misconceptions?
3: Well, um, I think the the two big ones is that, well, number one is scientific community, how they look at it, and they see it all as just attributed to the idiomotor effect. And this means when the subtle influences of your brain or your brain influences subtle movements of your body, your motor skills, so they believe that you can, the planchette moves. And the planchette, people don't know, is like a mouse. (laughs) It's the little device that sits on the planchette, excuse me, the, the board and moves around so science says that, and um, I think there, there's something to that, but I think that's also lim- it's limiting. The other one is what uh, a lot of the religions say is that it's demonic and you should not be speaking to spirits unless you are of the holy of the cloth or you've been trained, and you guys alluded to that uh, actually with the other guest. And those are two huge uh, misconceptions to say it's, it's either or, or or all of that. Because I, I, I'm going to say there's so much more to it. And unless we're willing to um, try the tool, look at it further, and explore it with some of these people who have been using it forever, and I'm one of them, but I know a lot of people like myself who've used it for many years with incredible results that have done nothing but improved and made their life more positive in many ways because it helped them grow spiritually. So that's another misconception, thinking that when you use this tool, all you do is speak to the dead with it and that there's nothing else involved. I've learned to use it as a, as a very incredible uh, therapeutic tool, tool. I'm going to say that tongue-in-cheek. It's not therapy, but a, a tool that helps you really look at yourself. In fact, I'm at a place with the work with the spirits that, that's, the, that's my third book that you held up a little bit earlier, where it's all about really learning who you are within and your connection as a divine being back to the cosmos back to all, there it is, the spirit of alchemy, back to all that you are. So what they do instead of telling us stuff, they ask us questions. They'll bring up like a round table discussion, and they will ask us questions as something, a, a topic at the table, and we're supposed to discuss it, and then they will add some input to it, and it's all of us communicating. So you could take this tool into many different realms of learning, um, of using it as a tool to learn about all kinds of levels of consciousness. And I think uh, the misconception that it's just a game is really stupid. <laughs> There's, it, it just downplays it. There's so much more to this tool. And as you said, you opened it, it is not a toy.
1: Um, Thomas Edison, it has long been rumored that um, towards the end of his life, he was working on a device that could communicate with the other side. Some call it a telephone, uh, you know, uh, for the dead. Uh, you have something, uh, the one 800 Ouija 4 u you describe as a wireless cosmic phone. Uh, what is it exactly? How does it work?
3: You know, I call it that. Uh, as you said, I, I'm also in the wireless uh, industry, and I help design and build cell towers. So I know a lot about how that works with radio frequency and microwave and, and all, all the connectivity of that. Um, what I want to say is I, I it's a, it's a play upon words, actually. But what I mean by that is, by, by your frequency, you get, again, your vibration, your rate of your vibration is your frequency. It's going to attract certain energies to it. So it's like you're on this um, cosmic frequency, and it becomes a phone where you reach different frequencies. You dial up different bandwidths, if you will, kind of like how mobile phones and the cell towers work. They're on different frequencies. They're on different bandwidths. They, they buy at auction what what... Uh, frequency they can be on for their communication so that's what we do we we work with our vibration internally and then that allows you to reach other levels of vibration so that's how you dial up if you will or call in or conjure if you want to use that word i i I'd probably say more like evoke or call upon those energies it's best it's, it's by working through your own energy first then you start reaching these other energies. And so that is why I call it the cosmic phone because t- technically, really, literally, I've been able to dial up all kinds of different consciousness and get some very incredible information um, that is it, it, basically mind blowing. And it's taken me into some very deep levels spiritually as well.
1: Um, ethereal, uh, we'll, we'll discuss this. I hear that music, I think, coming up now. But uh, again, we'll start the discussion and we'll continue it on after the break. But ethereal. Uh, uh, bodies or entities that you've communicated with. First of all, what do we mean by an ethereal uh, body?
3: Well, it's kind of a catch all. Really, what it is, they'd like to be called multi m- dimensional beings or interdimensional beings. They're actually on a, a vibration, just a different vibration we can't see. It kind of goes back to how quantum physics talks about we're all vibrating particles and it's really um, the rate of vibra- vibration that makes us into look solid to ourselves and our world becomes solid. We're there at such a different vibration we can't even see them. They're right here with us actually in another dimension. And so I just call them ethereal beings to make it easy to understand the different levels. If you will, I like to always use like a ripple in a pond. You throw a rock in, it ripples out. And instead of seeing it as a hierarchy up and down good or bad see that expansion of awareness and expansion of your energies and vibration they're like way out here in the far uh, areas of the circle we're probably more like in here and as you raise your energy you start reaching into these other realms and they have to come back down to reach into you and in these other realms are all kinds of energies and conscious sentient beings and so i just call that all ethereal you might get angels. People call them angels. You might get guardians. You might get which, which we, people call ETs. You might get um, more of these light beings that I, I that I communicate with. Um, you further in where where we are, the human being here. Further in is more like the deceased souls that are deceased souls that are more earthbound and maybe have moved on. When they move on, they go back into the, to the light awareness, and then from there they're going to evolve into their next. State of evolution.
1: All
0: right, so I got to take really a...
3: Like ripples further
1: out. Got it. All right, Karen, stay put. We will uh, recon order back on the other side here. The Conspiracy Show talking Ouija boards. Stay with us.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM 740.
1: Welcome back. Karen A. Dolman stays with us. And once again, the book is The Spirits of Ouija, The Four Decades of Communication. Uh, Let me get uh, a quick take from you on uh, this Charlie Charlie, um, the use of uh, a pencil. A lot of school kids are involved in this. Um, Again, you know, all cards on the table. I find it a little disturbing because I don't, again, think um, uh, school-aged children should be messing around in this uh, area. Uh, But uh, the the Charlie Charlie Challenge. Your your thoughts on that? Mm
3: -hmm. Oh, very familiar with it. Yeah. um, Okay. So uh, you know they believe it's actually was 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 created just for the release of the movie The Gallows. So that's where they're kind of tracing it to now, and believing that it was just it was all created for that. Yet when you get something to kids of this nature, and you tell them you don't want to do this, it's scary. Something's going to happen, and it kind of plays upon that mystical, magical thinking of oh my gosh, let's scare ourselves and it's fun to get adrenaline rush and I shouldn't be doing this. And so what it does, it becomes like a projection for your own unconsciousness to to say, okay, something's happening here because inevitably if you balance two pencils and, and everybody can try it on each other and you write the yes, no, like, like they do and they show it on YouTube. It's, it's, to me, it's stupid. But anyway, it will, it will inevitably move and not every time, but most likely your balance will be off. So it's going to move. And because of that, lack of being able to really get a good balance it people say they run with it it becomes a mass hysteria of believing that it's happening and to me, it's nothing more than what we had back in the 70s. You probably recall when the people called it Bloody Mary. Yes, yes. You would look in the mirror, right? Right, <laughs> right. right. Okay, just to scare ourselves. So this is, you know, so here is a, is a movie that they created this and put it all over the Internet, YouTube, et cetera, social media, and kids ran with it and, and then these totally tales of it, of, of it really working and happening. And this is the same hype and the mass hysteria we see behind the Ouija board. I don't buy into all of this evil, demonic stuff people are saying that's happening. I think what it is, it becomes a figment of their imagination as well as a collection of energy, like archetypal energies they consulate to them because of their own stuff inside that, they're, that is fear. Their fear is going to attract more fear. So this game, too, is nothing but a place to breed fear. Uh,
1: but, I mean, you wouldn't entirely discount the, the potential for danger. Uh, I mean, if there are... You know, these enlightened, ethereal uh, beings out there, then, I, again, I believe in the unseen world, the spirit world, but, and I also believe in, in demonic entities. I mean, can, can they make use of this board, and is there any danger, if you're not properly uh, prepared, if you don't use the protection prayer and so forth, that you could invite some of these demonic entities into your world?
3: Boy, we really need to talk about my second book, and I know we don't have time, five minutes to tell you about my second book, but, but I, talk, I get into that. I get into the whole thing of this nature of evil and what that truly is. I believe in the dualism of energies and that they're both on a continuum, and it's where you put your, your focus, and that's the energy you're going to get. Do I believe in evil? I believe in evil behaviors and evil energy, but not an evil demonic force that's a, a literal person. But I do believe there's negative energies out there, and we will attract that to us if we are messing with this tool and we're playing around, using libations, uh, joking, uh, it's a, a game manner, trying to get adrenaline rush, all those things that don't go along with using this divination tool. That's what it is, it's a divination tool, and it's not a game. So, yeah, I, people just need to be careful with it. I, I agree because, again, it becomes a place to project all of our fears. Anything that happens while we're using a Ouija board and we're fearful, oh my God, I heard a sound. All of a sudden that becomes uh, a a ghost, a demon. It's all these things we start attributing to uh, the board because we're not looking at all the old stuff that we're drawing to us and our own fears within. So, yeah, this is not a, this is not a, a game for people that, that, are, that are messing around with it. I, I definitely don't recommend that because I think there's some error. There's some, some issues that come up with that. I've seen people get obsessed with it and have some negative stuff. And so I'd say, you know, use it if you're going to use it in a very uh, different manner and use it as a respectful manner for what it really can be used for and how it was used when it first came out in the 1890s.
1: What about, uh, uh, I mean, you you talk about communicating with the spirits of, of, of dead pets. Yes. How does that work?
3: Well, okay, so uh, listen, this is going to sound really strange, Richard, but it's not just dead pets. You're in the That's right we,
1: place. That's what we yeah, discuss on <laughs>
3: Animals that are alive, too. You could speak to any conscious beings, and I speak to my higher self all the time. In fact, I've reached out to other people's higher self because they gave me permission to talk to their higher self and get some direct answers for them, things I would never even know. They're like, how do you know that? I go, I don't know it. Your higher self spoke this. But animals, too, um, it's, very, it's a whole other energy, and the other beings on the other side, the angels and some of the light beings, become the interpreter. They interpret the animal's feeling in response to my questions and bring it back into words. So you have like a, a moderator, if you will, um, like, almost like sign language, linguistic person standing there who can interpret those feelings and those thoughts the animals are having and put it into words so I understand it. It took a while to get there. My first animal communication was in 1994, And and since then, I've been doing a lot of animal communication.
1: Now, when you're using the Ouija board, are you transcribing as you go, or do you do it from memory, these communications?
3: Everything is is written down. I've been writing copious notes since 1989. I write down every single session. I have one hand, Richard, on the planchette, and I'm a right-hander, so I write with my right hand while this hand's moving the planchette. And I also now tape record everything, because I think it's important to have that to go back and look at what the messages were. Um, And sometimes I'll transcribe them if it's such an important message. On my website, I'm starting to share some of these messages. And a lot of this, everything I write, all my books, were written, by the way, with the help of my spirit friends. And this last book I wrote, The Spirit of Alchemy, this was definitely a big download of channeled information. And so I'm getting to a point where I'm going to start ch- sharing some of these messages they give so people can, you know, use their own judgment and see what they think about this information. But, uh, yeah, we- I keep copious notes, and I keep everything recorded now on on video on, excuse me on tape recorder.
1: Uh, and we've, we've uh, linked up to your website at uh, richardserrett.com. People can just click on your name, but uh, give us the website as well.
3: Sure. It's Karen A. Dahlman, D-A-H-L-M-A-N.com, or creativevisionspublications.com. Both go to the same place, and you can find me there. And, by the way, since you're in Canada, I've, all my books are on Kindle and paperback on Amazon. Uh, I do ship to Canada as well if you want an autographed copy. It just costs a little bit more. So I always recommend going to Amazon.com for your um, Canadian listeners, Excellent. for your group.
1: Okay. Now, during these communications, how quickly is the planchet moving around the board at this point for you? I mean, is it a slow... Uh, kind of process, you know, one letter at a time they're 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 communicating with you. Or is that thing moving around quickly?
3: For me it's moving around quite quickly. I've seen some people where moves this fast. For me it's about like this um adqpnab right and then i write it down so for them they say karen this is such a hard way for us to work because if we we give information and download the packets like packets of information like how data packets stream you know through our, our smartphones so they give it down quickly, and it usually comes in a packet, and they have to slow it down to write. But we've been working together for so many years now that they learn to do it this way. Because this is—I'm like old school, but um, they—I've seen some people who use this board. I know quite a few, and they—it moves like rapid fire for them as well. Uh, I
1: spoke with a woman recently uh, who, uh, about automatic writing, and, and mm. uh, mm-hmm. it, are they closely related? Uh, w- Absolutely.
3: Yeah, yeah. In fact, the planchette uh, came from Paris, which means little table, and they use, that's where they got the idea to take a um, planchette it, that you use as an automatic, automatic writer, had an aperture to put a pencil in, and you put your hand on it and it writes on a paper. They took that, took the pencil out, and let it just point to the letters. So yeah, they're very related, and in fact, they found that automatic writing, it was sometimes so illegible that they thought this is a better way to actually point to the letters so you could be really straightforward in what letter you want and it wasn't you have to guess but a lot of people who did automatic writing it, still do i know people who do it to this day um you start now are using keyboards They used to use typewriters and now a lot of them are using keyboards and getting their information that way so the spirits move to the well it's like an energy that, that tells you on your fingers and points to the right keyboard to push on right same with the automatic writer
1: yeah uh, very wh- related what, what do you make of the evp phenomenon
3: um, you know, I'm open to it. I haven't got involved in it that a lot, and I listen to, you know, the, the different spirit boxes, and I've heard the, the, the words that come through, and I've done a session, as a matter of fact, with Rosemary Allen Guiley with, with the box during a session of using the board, mm-hmm. and we have got some things that were very similar to what we were getting on the board. You know, it's just, um, it's another tool, and I think there's no difference between using a tool such as that and working with spirits than using a Ouija board. You're doing the same thing. You're right. contacting spirits, but people that might use the EVPs don't think that, and they think the they, they, you know the Ouija board gets a bad rap all the time. Sure. Although I feel like any divination tool, you're working with this, you know another realm. You, well, you really should know what you're doing. I, yeah, I agree.
1: And and one other thing I think we can agree on is is that I think that that um, you know world religions. Uh, should, should examine this a little more closely rather than just sort of uh, dismissing it or, or issuing these decrees not to, to, uh, to even think about it, because, as you say, these things may offer uh, proof uh, of the uh, you know, existence of, of an afterlife, and, and that's what the religions are all talking about.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so they, you know these, these things may end up being allies. Uh, I
3: agree with that.
1: Karen, a delight to meeting you and speaking with you.
3: Thank you, Richard. Delight meeting you too, and thank you to your listening audience.
1: Karen A. Dolman, The Spirits of Ouija, Four Decades of Communication. All right, my thanks to uh, Albert Vinzel, Sebastian, who's working a 19 hour shift today. Wow, you deserve a medal. Sebastian, good job. And uh, all of you for listening at home, back next week with a brand new program. Hope you'll be along for that. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark speak in the light, what I say in a whisper. Proclaim from the housetops. And now to close the show with a few parting words, my little guy, North. Good night. That's it? That's all you have to say? Yeah. All right. Good night.